You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. If you want to just stand with me, I'd like to read the passage that we have for today. So lust and divorce, uh, the next six verses that we left off from last Sunday. So Matthew 5, verses 27 to 32. Matthew 5, 27 to 32. And this is what God, God's word says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Can I get an amen even after that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are good and every... Every word, Lord God, in, 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 in scriptures, Lord God, is God-breathed, is breathed by you, and is so beneficial to us, Father. Father, I ask that you would work at our hearts this morning. Uh, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do and bear fruit. Without you, we are nothing. We can do nothing. Thank you for this amazing salvation that you brought into our, our lives. And thank you that you're faithful, that what you've started in our hearts and our lives, you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you for today. Thank you for this word that we have in front of us. Let it be beneficial to us. Let it bless our hearts. Let it convict us if it needs to convict us, Lord God. And I thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So today we are looking at Jesus' vision for our, for your, for our sexuality. I will probably not be a popular guy after this, but that's fine. It is what it is. Uh, it's going to be another heavy sermon, but hey, we are a church, like I said, committed to God's word and standards. Scripture is our highest authority. That's what we say. And I like to think that we don't just say that, we actually live by that value. So I'm going to begin today with three disclaimers. I, there were more, but I cut down to three. <laughs> three disclaimers. Disclaimer number one, today's sermon is PG-13. Some content may not be suitable for children under the age of 13, uh, and it's, it's not rated R. Uh, I'm going to try my best not to be graphic or overly descriptive. That's disclaimer number one. Disclaimer number two, kingdom sexuality or Jesus teaching on sexuality is not the same thing as toxic purity culture. Anyone heard that at buzzword, toxic purity culture? Yeah. This toxic purity culture is a phrase. It's kind of a buzzword in, in, some, in our churches. And, and I just want to acknowledge that it's actually a thing. In spite of what you call it, it's an actual thing. But just to let you know, pursuing kingdom sexuality or pursuing purity out of love for Jesus and, and for, this, for the goal of glorifying the name of our Father is not the same thing as toxic purity culture. I want to be very clear about that. Here's some hallmark characteristics of toxic purity culture. Maybe you grew up in a church uh, kind of like this, so you've encountered some of these things, and I'm sorry if that, that were you. I was 
I grew up in a church like that. Uh, typically, toxic purity culture is characterized by a church or a religious group with unrealistic expectations. I mean, let me give you some examples. No premarital eye contact. Uh, you have to wait until you're married to hold hands, that sort of a thing, right? So we're talking about really strict, really, really strict, almost legalistic expectations. Another one would be, uh, this is an interesting one, public accountability and shame. Just come on up to the front and, and let the whole church know why you got pregnant before you got married, you know, we'll just shame you. And, and these are actual things that happen in some churches today, just, just to let you know. Now, just so you know, these churches tend to elevate sexual immorality and those kinds of sins as the unforgivable sins. And then overall, one hallmark characteristic is that toxic purity culture uh, points to this erroneous view that sex is, uh, in and of itself is just evil, is just wrong. That's what, that's what they say. So again, if you have ever experienced any of that growing up or maybe, uh, or your youth group, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. But that being said, we can hold true to Jesus' very high standard, as we, we're going to see today, for sexuality without calling it toxic purity culture. Okay, and what we're gonna what we're gonna what we're gonna preach today is not toxic purity culture, but God's awesome life giving word and teaching on sexuality. And this is this is my point, I guess, with this disclaimer. Disclaimer number three. In the same sermon that Jesus says all of these difficult things that that uh, that we get here in chapter five. In chapter 7, in the same sermon, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. And this informs us that Jesus is setting high, very high ethical standards for kingdom people, for us, for his children, right? And, and we see that, and it's heavy, and it's challenging, and it will push us. And, but the point for this is not to load you up with ammunition to use it against your neighbor or anyone at church, right? That's not the point here, to judge your neighbor. That's not the point. It's not to load you up with hatred or, or self-righteousness, because maybe for some people that grew up in church, they kind of they carry some of that stuff. It's actually to force us into a position to examine ourselves. Can we, can we say an amen to that? Look at the log in your own eye first, okay? And one of the things that we do as people, we try to just get out of, you know, from being guilty by thinking through some of the tougher you know, teachings like the one today and how everyone's more guilty than we are. And yeah, they look at them, you know, they're worse off than we are. Well, we're pretty good. Okay, okay, that's good. And we judge. And by doing so, we avoid what actually the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our own lives, in our own hearts, by convicting us. So today's about self-examination, not ammunition. With those disclaimers in mind, let's jump into the teaching for today. So we're going to take uh, two verses at a time. We have six verses. We're going to have three main points and then some sub points, just so you know where we're kind of going. So three main points for every uh, one big point for every two verses. So I'm going to read verses 27 and 28 again, and um, we'll go with the first point. So you have heard that it was said, and this is Jesus uh, speaking. You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And point number one that I believe we see here, 
is that sex is God-given. Therefore, it's God-governed. Sex is God-given. Therefore, it's God-governed. So here we have the next commandment. Um, and if you haven't heard the last, last week's sermon, would you please, it's very connected to that. Would you please listen to that and listen to the one before and listen to the first one as well. So listen to the whole series if you haven't. It will really help uh, just for the remainder as, and as we go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But here we have the next commandment. And this is a quotation from Exodus 20, right? So it's the commandment that comes immediately uh, following, you shall not murder, what we looked at last week, right? So Jesus is taking a command from the Old Testament and he says, this is what it means. This is the heart behind it. Let me just, let me just give you the divine interpretation, the one that you probably just butchered along, I mean, so many years, so many generations. So you shall not murder. It comes right after that. You shall not commit adultery is next. So it looks like Jesus takes them in their order, uh, in, their order in, in, in Exodus 20. So we need to know that the Jews were concerned about adultery. They were, but concerned in their own selfish and unbiblical way. And you'll see what I mean in a second. They knew it was wrong. I mean, I think it's kind of the obvious and evident sin, just like you shall not murder. Well, okay, that's pretty obvious, right? But adultery, and to define it here for us, it's a marital unfaithfulness. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, more about that in a little bit. But check this out. Most rabbis would be concerned about adultery primarily not for the sexual impurity factor, but because it's stealing. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> well, you don't want to commit adultery because you're stealing someone else's spouse, and that's obviously a problem because you do not want to steal, and that's obviously a command from God. So, so just to state the obvious here, Jesus is more concerned with the sexual impurity aspect of adultery than he is with stealing, right? And that's pretty evident. But, but, but we know that stealing is wrong too. This is also a, a, a reason you, you, why you shouldn't commit adultery, but not the primary one according to Jesus. And I think it's really good to, to observe that. Speaking about sex in marriage or sex in marriage, this is what we have to remember about sex and marriage. God created both of these things. Very important. God created sex and God created marriage. And that means that God sets the rules on what is permissible and what is not. That's why we're kind of even making this point. Sex is God designed, God given. And then therefore it's, you know, God governed. He calls the shots. He designed it. He knows how it works best. And yet for so many people, this is how they think. Well, why would I care if God says something about, you know, my sexuality? I mean, it's kind of for me to decide, right? It's pretty personal, right? Again, our point we're making is sex is God-given, which means it should be God-governed. I think that's really helpful to start things off. By the way, all teaching around kingdom sexuality goes back to Genesis 2. Did you know that? It really goes back to the beginning. And the truth is that God created us, how? Male and female, and he created us male and female for this one flesh union. Marriage is this one flesh union or oneness, if you've heard that term, oneness. And the reason why this topic, sex or sexuality and marriage, is so vitally important, it's not because sex is evil, like maybe some churches, uh, you know, some legalistic people say, but it's 
It's because sex is powerful. That's why. So it's not evil, but it's very, very powerful. Uh, does anyone know what this is? I, yeah, there we go. Do you guys know, do you have one of those at home? Some version of a blender. This is a Vitamix, right? We have one of these. I don't think this is like a newer version. We have an older version, but anyways. Let me ask, is a blender a weapon? I mean, it could be. <laughs> That's, come on, come on, work with me here. <laughs> work with me. It can be used as a weapon, but is it a weapon? Is that why you, is that why you buy it, to kill people? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> wow, tough crowd. <laughs> When you think of something super dangerous, let me put it this way. Do you think of a blender? Do you think of smoothies? No? Okay. Okay, thank you. I'm winning here. <laughs> but a blender, a Vitamix is incredibly powerful and all powerful things need instructions. They need a manual. So when we got our Vitamix, we got a manual. What I should have done is bring our Vitamix here at church and I should have started to read the manual in front of you. Do you know what the manual actually says about Vitamix? Don't lift the lid as you operate the blender. You know why? You lose your fingers, man. <laughs> Those blades are so sharp and they're so fast. Do not stick your fingers in. That's what the manual will tell you as you operate the blender. Powerful things need instructions. That makes sense, right? And in the same way, just as a Vitamix has a manual and it's good to read it because otherwise you may lose some fingers, in the same way, God is not silent when it comes to sexuality because sex is a powerful thing and you will lose some fingers and more than fingers and because God created it. Now, now there are a lot of teachings Old Testament teachings and New Testament teaching when it, when it comes to parameters and, and, and boundaries, keep the lid on while you're operating kind of teachings. Don't stick your fingers in. Don't touch the blade kind of teachings. There are very clear instructions in scripture. And again, not because sex is evil, but because sex is incredibly powerful. Would you believe me if I told you that it's more powerful than a Vitamix? It is. <laughs> Let's ask the obvious question then. If God designed both marriage and sex, what is God's design for sexuality then? And that's a pretty good question, right? Well, Hebrews 13.4 gives us, a, I think, a, a good summary verse. And let me just read it to us. So Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Another way of saying that we can say, let the marriage bed be holy. That's the word, holy, okay? For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Very, very clear biblical teaching. Here's the principle. Sex is designed only for marriage. Sex is designed only for marriage. Church, God is very clear about this. Marriage is the only context that sex is designed by God for. And marriage Biblically speaking, time and time again is defined as one flesh lifelong covenant union between a man and a woman. C.S. Lewis, um, and he hits the nail on the head here, uh, in mere Christianity says this, and I quote, the inventor of the human machine, the inventor of the human machine, who gets to write the manual for a blender? It's designer, right? The person who invented it, right? So the inventor of the human machine was telling us that it's two halves, talking about marriage, the male and the female 
were made to be combined together in pairs, right? The union, not simply on the sexual level, but totally combined. The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, which is the sexual one, from all the other kinds of union, which was intended to go along with it and make up the total union. Right on, C.S. Lewis. That is exactly in line with the point that Jesus is trying to make here in our text. It's not just, hey, you, you, you should not, you shall not commit adultery. And that is the only sinful act here, as if that's the only sinful act here. He's actually talking about the holiness and the sanctity of marriage. That's what's behind it. In the same way he's talking about you shall not murder, as you remember from last week, and it has to do with the sanctity of life. That's, that's, that's the reality and the truth that was behind that command. You shall not commit adultery it has to do with the sanctity of marriage. This is a holy covenant union that God created in the early chapters of Genesis. Did you know that it was one of the first things that God blessed in, the, in all of human history? Marriage, this union of a, of, a, of, of a man and a woman. So there are two clear sins, two clear sins that human beings are tempted to commit in regards to this sanctity of marriage that show up here in the text. And Jesus is very clear about them. And the first one is adultery. And the second one is lust, adultery and lust. Now adultery, and we already touched on, on, on it for a little bit. It's marital unfaithfulness, cheating on your spouse. It's an obvious sin. It's evident like everyone, like, okay, okay. He cheated, she cheated. Okay, we know. And the second one, and this is similar if you remember Jesus' teaching on anger from last Sunday, it's similar to the relationship between anger and murder. And the second one, lust, it's not that obvious and evident. It's just not. I mean, like, how can you tell if someone is lusting? Only God can see the heart. Only God can see what's inside. It's this internal sin behind the sin. It's the posture of our hearts, and it's the thoughts of sexual immorality. It's the fantasies, and it's hidden but only God knows the heart. And Jesus again, once again, has given us that range that we saw last week, that category, that range. One extreme, we have this. One extreme, we have murder, literal murder. And the other extreme, we have anger. And everything in between is in the same category. So, so just as he did last Sunday about murder and anger, adultery, the obvious and the evident sin we have at one extreme, at one end, and then the other end, at the other end, we have this even thinking about it. Even if the posture of the heart is one of lusting, it's still sinful, and it's still God-dishonoring, and it will be judged. And everything in between is sinful and is liable to judgment. And now we have to clarify when it comes to lust, what's the difference between temptation and sin? Because that may be confusing. Uh, have you ever wondered that? I mean, did I accidentally just lust? Oh, 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 right? We have a lot of those questions. And I hope we do have a lot of those questions. The illustration that makes sense to me is this. We have a no soliciting sign in, at, uh, on our front door. And that's not because we put it there. It was, it's been there from the previous owner, and we just never took it down. 
even with that no soliciting sign, in the summer, we still get some solic- like solicitors. And, and I'm like, really, really, can't you? It's like, it's a big sign. Like, can't you just read it? You know, it's right here. Anyways, here's the point. You can do everything to try and prevent someone from being a door-to-door salesperson, salesman, and, and, and knocking on your door, but you can't fully prevent that from happening. You just can't. However, you can simply refuse to open the door. Or you can open the door if you want, find out that it's not really an emergency, and then say, I'm sorry, and just shut the door off and just close the door in his face, right? Or you can just open the door and say, come on in and entertain them. You can do that also. And it's the same thing when it comes to our desires and our thoughts and even all the temptations that come our way. You simply cannot prevent that post from showing up on your social media feed. You just can't. You're like, I thought I read the reviews for this movie. Like, oh, gee, okay, let's shut it off or let's continue watching it. You cannot prevent a thought from entering your mind or a temptation coming your way, but you can do everything to not entertain it. You can do everything to not welcome it, right? And actually, pretty interesting, the Greek word that Jesus uses, uses here for to look at the woman intently, it's this Greek word, um, blepo, and it means to look intently. We even get it here, to look intently, to study something, to linger, to like, oh, right? So Jesus is talking about looking at a woman with lust or looking at a man with lust, either way. It's very important to make the distinction. Jesus is not talking about a passing thought that you cannot control or even a temptation because they come at you. You can't control them. Rather, he's talking about a fixation or, or entertaining that temptation. Well, that temptation becomes lust in that, in that, uh, that entertaining, I should say, becomes lust in that, in that moment. So what else fits within that category though? Right? We said we have uh, adultery, right? physical adultery, and then we have lust. What else fits in that? I mean, just for clarity, because I, I, don't, I, I want us to be crystal clear today. What else fits within that range? We need to, I'm, because some people may say, well, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't committed adultery, and I feel like my thought life is pretty good, you know? although I may not believe that second one. Right? I think we all struggle to some extent. So what else fits within that category? Let's run through a few, shall we? And that's not because I want to talk about this stuff, <laughs> right? or that's comfortable for me to talk about these things, but that's because it's very needed to be crystal clear, especially in our day and age. That's why. So at first, a first one would be premarital sex. Now, this is a very common culturally acceptable sin, even within many churches. Wow, we, you know, we plan on getting married eventually, but we, we see nothing wrong with you know, sleep, uh, sleeping together since this is about love and you know, we just want to see if we're compatible. No, that is sexual immorality, right? And if you want to embody the kingdom sexual ethic, Jesus' sexual ethic and vision for your life, you need to do something about that situation and truly repent. That's just the way it is. Another one would be hookup culture. Hookup culture, I'm sure you've heard uh, the term. And people that subscribe to this, which is, by the way, a lot of people, view sex as a recreational activity for adults. That's exactly what it is. And if you're a kid, you go bowling and you, you have water balloon fights. And if you're an adult, you go sleep around. That's hookup culture. That's what it is. 
but, but do you know what this is? Do you know what this hookup culture is? This is literally the definition of isolating that sexual union that we just talked about apart from the holiness of the marriage covenant. That's exactly what it is. At the other extreme of, of, of what God designed marriage and sex to, to be. And this is obviously a sexual sin. I had many other notes, so you're welcome. I wanted to get into the specifics because people have questions about these things, but I, yeah, I made my sermon a little shorter. Anyways, another one is homosexuality. And this one goes against God's definition of sexuality. And it's what Jesus affirms in Matthew 19. Namely, that marriage is designed by God as a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. There are other passages, but we're just going to stop there. The next sinful act in our category would be pornography. It's a very, very popular one. And it's not just what you see on the internet. It is TV shows and books. And, and there's so many other things that fit within this category, within the category. Right? And alongside that is masturbation, which is sexual gratification turned inward. It does not build the oneness of marriage, but it's a selfish act of gratification. And then the last one, long list of, there's a long list of illegal sexual activities. This is kind of category number six within our bigger category, right? Which I don't think we need to go over. But the reality is that our culture is incredibly permissive. And even our permissive and sinful culture has laws against some of these things like prostitution and human trafficking, bestiality, and you name it. There's a long list. And I think it's safe to say that if our sinful, permissive culture calls it illegal, I am pretty sure that it's wrong in the eyes of God. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Right? It's, it's safe to assume that. As we wrap up this first main point, that sex is... Uh, designed by God, so therefore, right, uh, it should be God-governed. We just have to be honest. We have to be honest about the, the, the fact that Jesus' teaching on sexuality is extremely strict compared to our cultures, to our cultures. I mean, it's at the other, it's antithetical. It's at the other extreme. He is clearly being more strict even than the Jewish understanding towards sexuality. That should tell us something. And the point is this. This is the point that I'm trying to make. We have to own that. We just have to own that. We can't neglect that. We have to own that. As followers of Jesus, you want to be obedient to Christ and embody his kingdom sexual ethic first. And first, we need to come to terms with the fact that sex is God-given and therefore is God-governed. So let's pursue this living that gives life and that we benefit out of and honors God at the same time. And the point of running through this list, again, self-examination, like we said in one of the disclaimers, that follows a godly Holy Spirit conviction to live holy lives for the glory of our awesome Father in heaven. That's the point here. Also, it's right about this point that we realize that we're all broken and sinful, don't we? And we fall short of the glory of God. And I want to be very clear on this. If even the thoughts, desires, and motives of the heart are under the microscope of the most delicate eye in the universe, the eye of God, who of us is righteous on their own merit? Absolutely no one. Absolutely no one. That's what, a, that's what Jesus is getting at, I think. We need him. 
We need his righteousness. We need his sacrifice, his salvation. We need him. So this begs the question, what do we do about our sexual immorality then? We definitely have some trouble with the first two verses, right? So let's see what we find, if we find any help in the next two verses. So I'll read the next two verses. We'll make the the big point and then we'll continue. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is, it is better that you lose one of your members than, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Point number two is this. Cut lust, cut lust out of your life. I think it's very clear. Gouge your eye out. Cut your, what does that mean? What's Jesus is saying, cut lust out of your life. Be extreme about it. Do you think this is a extremely strict teaching on sexual immorality? <laughs> to cut your hand off? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> but just so you know, Jesus is obviously using hyperbolic language here. Just so we're, you're not, don't go out, you know, just boom. Just gouge your eye out. Don't, don't, don't do that. These are extremely exaggerated examples, but Jesus does not expect you to gouge your eyes out or to cut your hand off, but he does make a point with these examples, exaggerated examples. Origen, who was an early church leader, he actually took Jesus' teaching from this passage quite in a literal sense and castrated himself. Don't do that. (laughs) And the irony is that even if you gouge your eyes out, you still have your mind right? You actually lust with your mind. You can still imagine and fantasize in your mind. So we have to be clear about that, namely that your mind is the first battlefield. D.A. Carson says it like this regarding Jesus' extreme measures on fighting this powerful thing, sexual immorality. By the way, it's so powerful, it'll, it'll hurt you and all the people around you. Even if you think that it's completely a secret, no one's going to find out, you know, you know, lots of people have a secret porn addiction uh, and you think to yourself, no one really knows about it. how is this going to hurt anyone? Like really? Oh, trust me. Oh, don't trust me. Trust Jesus teaching here in his extreme measures to fight this evil that will tear a path of destruction in your life. I promise you it's doing damage to your soul. Not to mention that the porn industry is built on the back of the human trafficking industry. Did you know that? Underage, primarily women, but men as well. It's absolutely heartbreaking and devastating. It just makes it, takes it to a different level if you have a little girl. I I just don't know why it just does that to your soul. So D.A. Carson says it like this, and I quote, all sin, not least sexual sin, begins with the imagination. Therefore, what feeds the imagination is of maximum importance. That's good. That will preach. That captures perfectly what Jesus is saying in our passage here. And and can I be candid? We are so flippant and dismissive in what we watch, in what we consume, aren't we? I'm speaking to myself. I'm preaching to myself first. And sure, we don't want to become legalistic or, or self-righteous you know, because once again, it's hard to say, hey, everyone at, everyone, at, you know, everyone at Summit, don't watch this show. Don't do it. It's just not the same. You know, and what is a trigger for me may not be a trigger for you, right? But at the same time, can we just acknowledge that most of the stuff out there that we consume 
is just soaked and dripping with sexual immorality that, and it doesn't help any of us. Can we acknowledge that? Yeah. So to say the least, we need to be cautious what you feed your imagination. Cautious. Gouge your eye out. Cut your hand, right? Again, don't do those things literally, but that's the extreme that really cut lust out of your life. Do everything that's necessary. Paul in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6, verse 18, and it's another hallmark passage. And you can read the whole chapter when you get home to get more of a context, and please do. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee it. So in the blender example that, that we just you know, mentioned, is it like get as close as possible to the blades? Like, is that what he's saying? Get as close as you can to the blade without touching it? Is that what Paul is saying? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, because that blade is very, very powerful and it will take your fingers right off. This is what Jesus and Paul are saying. Leave the lid on. And as you make your smoothie, stay away from it. Leave the lid on. Go away from the blender. Use one of those mixing sticks. Use one of those that, that came with a Vitamix. Go as far as you can away from the blender as you use it. Flee sexual immorality. That's what he's saying. So what is it going to take for us, church, to live holy lives, to pursue holy lives? Out of love for Christ and to glorify our awesome Father in heaven. What are we going to do about this sexual immorality thing? Well, here's the practice. Cut lust out of your life. Interestingly enough, do you know why Jesus uses the eye and the hand example for adultery and lust here? Because the eye is the primary mode of lust, that visualization piece, you know? And the hand is the primary mode where the beginning of physical adultery starts. So that's why Jesus uses these two things as examples. Sex is both an imaginative and a physical thing. So what is it going to take for you to cut lust out of your life? Are there apps on your phone that by the end of the service today need to be deleted? Let's get practical. If we just talk about it and never really do anything, are we really obedient? No, we're not. So then go ahead, delete them. Are there relationships in your life that you need to run away from that are toxic? Do you need to break up with a person or a bad friend? Are, the, are there boundaries that you need to set up in your dating relationship? And just in your relationships with friends. Sometimes we have a bunch of bad friends. Just, just walk away. Again, we're not talking about no premarital eye contact. That's not what we're talking about here. But you need to avoid certain situations with that specific person. Are there certain TV shows and movies that you're dying to see? But every time you do that night, you go to sleep with lust in your heart. And you just have to say, well, I guess I have to give up watching that TV show. Ah, oh, you know. Guess what, friend? Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow him on a daily basis. It's perfectly okay if we don't watch one show. Nothing will happen to us if I don't watch that movie that I really, really want to watch. Are there any social media accounts that you need to unfollow? Is there accountability that you need in your life, a men's group, a woman's group? By the way, we have a course here at Summit that we want to take the men through. We already had a few that went through it. We have another group going through it. If you're interested, please come and talk to me. 
Come and talk to Lucas or any of us. Is there accountability software you need to download on your computer or phone? There's so many. I can go on and on and on and on. What do you do to cut lust out of your life? Whatever you cut out for the sake of cutting out lust, I want to assure you, I want to assure you, it's so worth it. It is so worth it. But is that enough though? Is it enough to to just get some accountability going? Is it enough to just make sure my eyes and my ears are not exposed to anything anymore? Is that enough? No, no. These are some good guardrails. They're amazing. They're awesome. But on their own, it's just a matter of time before you slide down on that slippery slope to destruction. This is probably the second most important thing that I'm going to say today, because the first one is the gospel. But this is what I'm going to say next. And I really want us, I want my heart to be so focused on what I'm going to say next. The secret to getting free from the snare of lust and immoral sin begins with a prayerful, a rigorous, an honest examination of what satanic promises we have believed. What are some of these promises that you've believed that made you click and watch and do this and do that? Let me give you a few. You really need this right now. Click. This will relieve some pressure. This will make you feel so good, right? It's just this one time. You've been so faithful to your wife. It's just this one time. Come on. She cheated on you. You have the right. All these satanic promises that we've believed for so long. So it's a, it's a rigorous examination of what they are, of pinpoint. No, this is a satanic promise. And then a prayerful and a rigorous and honest examination of the better promises God made for us. Let me give you some examples. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I'm not going to allow any temptation to overpower you. Do you believe that one? Psalm 16, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do we believe that one? God is the creator of of pleasure. Isaiah 58, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water. Those waters do not fail. Are these some of the promises that, that are close to our heart that we believe? And then after we have these, make these examinations prayerfully, right? Satan's and then God's. And then asking the following questions, which promises the devils or gods will really produce the longest and the best happiness if true? Which ones? You tell me. And then in which source of promises the devils or gods has the most proven credibility? Until we get to the bottom of this, the guardrails are just going to help out here and there. This is the heart of the matter. We got to get down to the heart. Do you believe God or do you believe the devil? Do you believe that God will fully satisfy you or that the devil will satisfy you? Then 
After you've figured out all of that, we must renounce and reject the lies that we've believed, Satan's lies, and then repent to God for having persistently believed, you know, them. And then begin to exercise faith in God's promises through obeying him. And I can think of three things really quickly. How do we exercise that faith in God? Get into God's word daily. Get into God's word daily. And pray daily. Spend time with your father. Love him in prayer and in the word. And then, and then make every effort to be as much as you can with God's people. Three things that I can just think of off the top of my head. The more convinced you become that God is the source of, of all these superior joys for you, the more committed you will become to fight for those joys. And the easier the fight will become over time. If he's our ultimate treasure, like we say that he is, you're not going to want these lesser, lesser things. But we need to build that faith by being in the word and, and, and being in prayer, being with God's people. But unless you become convinced of this in some measure, the powerful, the power of lust and immoral sin will keep its hold on you. So that was Jesus' teaching on lust. And now let's continue with the next saying of Jesus, the next two verses, and it's about divorce. I have about five minutes to, to get through this. Verses 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Point number three, marriage is more important than you think. It's covenant and not casual. It's covenant and not casual. The Old Testament teaching that Jesus is referencing here is Deuteronomy 24, one to four. You can read that at home. It's a situation that Moses gives and where a woman marries a man that divorces her after a while and she marries another man and this man divorces her again or also. And then the principle in the teaching of this passage is this. Let her not go back to her first husband and remarry the first husband because it gets really, really confusing and messy. Let her not go back to the first husband. That's the teaching, right? Essentially, the premise behind this teaching about divorce is, yes, there's permission, but not a command, by the way, but permission for divorce. But it's not a flippant divorce either. Not a casual like, hey, if, I don't, if it doesn't work out, then it's perfectly fine to get divorced. And no, it's nothing like that. It's because we have to remember this important principle that sex is this physical one flesh covenant that people are making. And that goes beyond any certificate that you receive from Garden City or the city of Detroit. In God's eyes, that's the, this flesh covenant, this flesh union, that's the mo more important binding uh, union. In God's eyes, that's the thing that certifies the covenant. By the first century, uh, Jesus' time, there were two rabbinic schools, uh, very important for us to understand this. And they each had their own distinct teaching on divorce. And the first one was um, the school of Hillel, and they practiced divorce for any cause. Like, it doesn't matter, you know, your wife, if she burnt your dinner, that's fine, divorce her. More attractive woman, oh, great, awesome. Let me, let me you know, divorce my wife and marry her for any, any cause. Does this sound similar to the common practice of divorce in our country? 
Yep. <laughs> we may not say that the spouse burned you know, our dinner or I found someone that's more attractive, but those may in fact be real reasons why people get divorced today. We call it, you know, irreconcilable differences. Well, I just fell out of love. Ah, there's no spark in there anymore, you know. Call it what you will. What we do today is very similar to the school of Hillel. Same practices. The second one was the school of Shimei. And divorce was only for sexual immorality or immodesty. Believe it or not, immodesty. So if your spouse cheats on you, marital unfaithfulness, you are free to get divorced. Or even if they're dressed provocatively, because apparently that, the next step would be, well, she's going to commit adultery or he's going to commit adultery, whatever, right? So you, if you'd be scrolling through their social media and you would see something inappropriate, like, that's it, I'm calling it, I'm divorcing you, right? But did you notice Jesus in his teaching is even more strict than the strictest Jewish teaching on divorce of his day? Did you notice that? In church, we have to wrestle with this. Because going back to a couple of weeks ago to the sermon on the, on the law that I really loved so much to, to, to present to you, this is an instance where Jesus reinterprets this law and unfolds the original meaning of it, right? And so Jesus' teaching is elevated to a far more strict, even than the Shemay, the school of Shemay. He doesn't even give immodesty as a reason for divorce, only marital unfaithfulness, that's it. And it's because Jesus has such a high view of the covenant of marriage, and we should too. And it's not because Jesus is angry at divorce. Sure, divorce grieves him. The Bible's clear about that. But rather, he has such a high view of the holiness and the sanctity of the marriage covenant relationship. Matthew 19, 6, 8. And you can study this at home. This is another teaching on Jesus, of Jesus on divorce. This is a separate occasion than the Sermon on the Mount. But this is what Jesus says in this passage. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no men separate. So again, he's not even arguing that on paper they're, they're married. No, no, he's saying that in flesh they are married. That's what makes, that's, that's what's important. And again, he's quoting from Genesis 2. Someone said it like this, and I quote, What God has made one, let us not on one, end quote. It's like Plato. Plato that you've mashed all together. Have you ever tried that? You mash up like two different colors of Plato. You, you can chop it in half if you want, right? But you cannot put the colors back together perfectly. You can never do that. There's a bit of, you know, of each one that is still on the other half that you chopped. You just can't do it perfectly. The idea is that sex is not just flesh deep. It is a lot deeper than we think. It's soul deep. Let's continue with Matthew 19. Um, we'll, go, we'll, we'll finish it uh, quickly. Where the religious leaders asked Jesus, hey, why then did Jesus command uh, you know, us to give a certificate of divorce and, and send our wives away? And then Jesus replies, whoa, 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 whoa. No one said that. Moses didn't say that, right? And he says, because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. So basically, what Jesus is saying is, you guys were allowed because you were just stubborn. You were stubborn, uh, but God's plan was never for divorce. By the way, here's God's intention and heart for marriage. Marriage is for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. 
other than your commitment to Christ, marriage is the most holy, most binding. It's the highest covenant relationship that two people can enter into. It's the most deep, the most intimate and personal and connected. It's a two different colors of Play-Doh mashed together kind of relationship that a human being can enter into. Marriage is covenant and not casual, and we need to treat it as such. Aside from marital unfaithfulness, there's a second scriptural exception for divorce that we see in 1 Corinthians 7, and it's desertion by an unbelieving spouse. Once again, you can read through the whole chapter at home if you want to get the context, but essentially two people get married and one spouse becomes a Christian and the other one just hates that. It's like, no, 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 I want you to leave or I'm going to leave. And you can read that in 1 Corinthians 7.15. So as far as the New Testament goes, and we have to wrestle with this church, as far as the New Testament goes, there are literally only two exceptions for divorce. One is this, if your spouse says, That's it. I'm going. You can't do anything about it. Leave me alone. I'm out. Or adultery, marital unfaithfulness. Now, could there be other exceptions? And this is Ovi's commentary here. This is my commentary here because I don't think it's that clear from the Bible if there are more exceptions. I think possibly physical abuse possibly physical abuse. When someone's life is in danger, uh, that could be, that this would be another one, whether you get divorced or not, right? That's a different story. But if you're in a situation like that, you need to get help. You need to get your kids to safety. You should get separated for sure. And you can deal with everything else afterwards. I want to be clear about that. And that's just my commentary on this, a possibly third exception. But any other exception for divorce other than the two and possibly a third that I just mentioned, Listen, church, goes beyond the bounds of the New Testament. We, ha- we got to wrestle with that. And we have to just acknowledge that reality and wrestle with that. And obviously this begs the question, because a lot of people have this question, what if I'm divorced and remarried and it's not for these two exceptions, because plenty of people are in a situation like this, even in our churches, right? So let me just answer that. Grant Asborn says this. It is not the unforgivable sin. It means that the present act and consummation of the remarriage is adulterous and the couple should admit that and begin then to live by God's standard. I think he hits the nail on the head if you ask me the way I see scriptures. I'm quoting Grant Osborne because what he says here is the same principle that we see in Deuteronomy 24. If someone has been divorced, maybe for unjust causes or beyond biblical bounds, without one of these two exceptions and gotten remarried, own it. Repent of your sin. But I don't think that you're living in adultery every single day of your life. I believe that's the principle. Own it. Repent of your sin. God can fully forgive. And now make sure you pursue living a holy life in your new marriage. And make sure you are committed to that new spouse just as Christ is committed to the church till death. I believe this is the principle in the heart of Deuteronomy 24. And this is where grace comes in. I've said all of that to get here. And I'm ending This is where grace comes in. How amazing is that Jesus embodies grace. He embodies mercy and forgiveness. And we don't see much of that in the Sermon on the Mount at a first glance. Sure, sure. The Sermon on the Mount is is quick, hitting, it's fast, it's, it's clear. But you look at Jesus's life and he was a friend of the tax collectors and sinners. 
not in the way that where he was okay with their lifestyles. I want to be sure that I mention that, right? But this mercy and grace of Jesus has no bounds. Jesus would go, uh, you know, and extend this mercy and grace for people that society would deem irredeemable. Too dirty for us. Nah, no. We're not going to have them at our church. No, 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 no. Not too dirty for Jesus. Never. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this. This is like a boss preacher that I just respect so much. And I quote, even adultery is not the unforgivable sin. It's a terrible sin. But God forbid that there should be anyone who feels that he or she has sinned himself or herself outside of the love of God or outside his kingdom because of adultery. No, if you truly repent and realize the enormity of your sin and cast yourself upon the boundless love and mercy and grace of God, you can be forgiven and I assure you of pardon. But hear the words of our blessed Lord, go and sin no more. I hope you hear those words. And not from me, but from this, again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, this boss preacher, but not even that. Who cares about Martin Lloyd-Jones, right? When we have scripture. Hear the words of God through Apostle John. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, right? To forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then hear the words of the Lord. Go and sin no more. Meaning pursue righteous living. Pursue Jesus' design for your sexuality. God can forgive us. God can forgive you and wash you and make you clean from anything that you've done. But you have to come to the foot of the cross and dump your sin there and trust in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And then out of grace, out of his love, out of the righteousness that Christ wraps around you, start living for God. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.